Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hey guys, Jim from Creative Play and Podcast Network. Joining me today is Dave Sokolowski, publisher of the Lovecraftian Joy that is now known as Sunspots on Kickstarter. So, Hi Jim. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. The Kickstarter is not even two days old, and she's a bubbling, gurgling she's a bubble bu- of joy. She's Cthulhu a beautiful, joy. <laughs> she's a beautiful, healthy baby of Cthulhu. That's right, right. Yeah, Chagothian she- joy. Less than less than three days in, and what blew through the gulk with no problem. So it's definitely going to come to come to fruition, thankfully. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, you know, you. Oh man, you. So I've done this before, <laughs> and 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 it, it helps because you just sort of know all the work, and 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 you know where some of the pitfalls are. But it's just a lot of work, and it's so much of it's just pro- project management up front, right? There's just all this heavy lifting and all this heavy organization, and. If you've done it right, you you turn it on and it just bolts out of the gate, um, and that's what I did, and that's what it did. Uh, so it's kind of nice uh, just to be take a little bit of a break. I mean, I you know you have to be on online, you have to be answering questions, and you have to be doing so much and get engaged with the community. And there's still PR to do, go out there and do. But but if you've done, if you've set yourself up for success, uh, a lot of the heavy lifting is done. Now it's actually just about delivering the product. And you definitely, it's basically keeping in touch with everybody, letting know where it, where it is, and it's it's beautiful that it's doing this well so far. I mean, I was really impressed with it because you know we were going to talk earlier last week before the launch, and all of a sudden I've been watching it every morning, and I'm like, oh, I know he's having kittens right now because look what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. yeah, it's 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 been great, and you know part of that of of course is was the eleventh hour switch from Cthulhu Dark. As a sort of indie, you know, self-published, self, you know, uh, no license, self-contained book to a seventh edition Call of Cthulhu book, and you know that was that kind of happened at the beginning of the week, just a couple days out from when I was going to launch. I was going to launch on Tuesday, and today's Friday, and uh, you know, having Chaosium behind it, pushing it, obviously is a is a pretty big deal, and and having their their press and their um, publicity behind it will—it has made a big difference as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, when you when you when you dropped me the secret news that you're getting official backing, I was really excited for you on that one because that's just freaking awesome. So we've yeah, we've, thanks. We've, we've oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was that, I was just <laughs> going to say yeah. The one thing about that was is I, I just 
you know, Chaosium, we can talk, and we can talk about Chaosium, but <laughs> Chaosium, I, w- I was really impressed with, I've just been really impressed with the sort of the new guard, which is kind of the old guard, you know, with Sandy Peterson and Greg Stafford, who've taken back control of Chaosium, and there's a couple of guys, Mike Mason and Michael O'Brien, and that was part of the reason why I was willing to go over to Chaosium, because they seem to have their act together professionally, just like as an, as an organization and as a business. It's, it's no longer the Chaosium of sort of the the 2000s where it was just sort of, you know, running on the fumes of, of its uh, fantasy flight games licensing fees, you know? Yeah, where it's just coasting through. Exactly. Now there's actually good driving power behind it, which is nice. And and it's the old guard, like you said, so it's you know what to expect because, you know. Now, we have been throwing some terms around that folks that are, that are on the podcast that don't know. So first thing I'd like to get is your opinion of – Cthulhu and Lovecraft. What what it, what to you is Cthulhu and Lovecraft? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> hard question. I, kind of I know. About, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, but I was thinking about it, and and I think a, a, a funny way to frame it would be like so. H.P. Lovecraft, you know, the writer mm-hmm. from a hundred years ago. I, he's almost like he almost kind of did the, the first OGL, right? You know, open gaming license. Exactly. And because he had all these creatures you know, these places, places and things and creatures, but then he let all of his friends play with them as well, right? And, and you've got all these other writers who kind of dip their toes in it. And so, so then, it, so something being Cthulhu, something being, you know, the Cthulhu mythos isn't, doesn't have to be related to Lovecraft, right? There are, in the canon, you know, there are a handful of other writers who are sort of official canon, if you look at it, you know, whether oh, yeah. it's Ramsey Campbell or Clark Park, Ashton Smith. So what I think Cthulhu mythos is, um, I don't know, it's, it's like existential horror and weirdness, just broadly. Um, it's, it's, it's that, it, in one phrase, I guess, it's that, that, that shall not be named. You know, the secret <laughs> man was not meant to know. Right, I think that this, if you said the secret man was not meant to know, that, you can kind of throw a, a lot of what Lovecraft is. Maybe the Venn diagram is that bigger and, and all of Lovecraft or Cthulhu mythos is in that, um, in that circle. Uh, you know, it's, it's ultimately peeling back the layers on, you know, the secrets of the universe and, and exploring when it's uh, exploring when it's against your, uh, not better judgment, but your better <laughs> health, Sanity. whether physical or mental. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you know, and, and being driven to explore that. I think that's, um, that's a key component of it is, is that you, know, you have, whether, if you're, whether you're writing about it or whether you're gaming in the world, you have this drive as a protagonist to explore and, and, and try to understand these, these secrets, whether for better or for worse. And usually better ends up being worse anyway. <laughs> it's, it's like when I've described a Cthulhu gaming to, to a bunch of my friends who don't do it. It's like, well, it's the kind of game where you either end up dead or insane and usually wishing you're dead. <laughs> Right, but yeah, it's it's the that which is seen cannot be unseen, you know, with with that cool pulpiness that I like in the pulpy detective. It's, you know, like like a few of our friends, I told them it's X Files, but with the classic pulp detective novel aspect. Yeah, I, I think there's an aspect of um, of being able to because because there you know the pulp pulp is sort of one. There's a spectrum, right? In in Cthulhu gaming, at least, there's a spectrum of you know, is it is it more pulpy, or you can kind of go more like Lovecraft? Because Lovecraft stuff, you know, we we've taken a lot of his ideas and we've extrapolated them into our own sort of modern perspective. 
and I was just listening to another podcast, and we, they were we were they were talking about it. I was there listening, so then I was there as well. Um, <laughs> uh, they were talking about how you know Lovecraft's stories actually. So they're usually a single protagonist. He usually doesn't actually do much. He actually just stuff happens to them, him, right? And 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 so we you know we we of course have taken that, and, but that that more uh, purist. Uh, Cthulhu mythos is, you know, much harder on the sanity and, and much less pulpy. People die, go insane much quicker, and much harsher things happen to them. But wherever that is in the spectrum, I think that the, not the goal, but the, the approach is, you know, how close can we get to understanding what's important to us as, as humans, right? I mean, when you, mm-hmm. when you kind of crack the lid on the Cthulhu mythos, you're, you're asking some really fundamental questions about who we are as a species, right? Mm-hmm. You're saying, okay, so it's not just a, that we're not alone in the universe, but like we're in these insignificant drops <laughs> in, you know, in the, in the universe and, and the beings that are out there, whether they're, whether they're good or bad or, you know, or just we're insignificant to them and, and they have these amazing powers. And like, so if you really start to frame that and if you really think through that perspective, like, wow, okay, well, that's a really, that's a really sharp way to look at the universe. Well, that's what that gives us is, is a, the ability to do that. But in a, you know, a gaming or a fiction or, you know, a movie sort of way and be able to frame that and, and interact with that way, it's, you can't really be a nihilist all the time. I mean, you can, you know, people are, but <laughs> it's, it's tough to, it's tough to be a, a, a a, a fun, creative person, and be a, a nihilist who's you know who worships Cthulhu all the time, right? Because <laughs> you know when he's all about wiping out the ant hill, you know, right? Sometimes you're the ant, and sometimes you're the boot. And unfortunately, <laughs> with Cthulhu, we're the ant. <laughs> That's right. And in, and in the case of the in the case of uh, sunspots, there's sort of like the sun and the magnifying glass, and we're the ant. <laughs> And, and by the way, in Sunspots, I love the twist that you're doing on it, which which is bringing a whole new, fresh look to it. So for folks who haven't heard about Sunspots, give us a brief breakdown of what Sunspots is. Okay. So Sunspots is a, a, a scenario, a large scenario for Call of Cthulhu. And it should be run in about 8 to 10 hours, so it's a little bit long. It's the, the core mystery is that the group of investigators is hired to help uh, a banker. Oh, it takes place in 1920s. So it's got that roaring 20s Lovecraftian feel, traditional uh, genre to it. And the investigators are hired to help a banker go and retrieve his daughter from this mountain resort town. Well, it turns out that something strange, of course, is happening in that mountain resort town. And the town itself is under the sway of um, some ancient magic powers some artifacts, and there's also an underlying conflict to the story. There's there's a backstory that, without I don't want to spoil it, but there's some there are some players in play who are trying to advance their own agenda, and the the players themselves, the investigators, get kind of sucked into this power play for this town for this magic, and whether they go along completely for the ride or they end up trying to stop it or some degree in between. The town, the scenario's kind of got this uh, sandboxy way of looking at things. It's, it it, it kind of gives you the town. It gives you a handful of clues leading up to the town so that when, you, when the investigators come into the town, they have a handful of clues to drive them forward. But then there's really kind of a 
go go and ex- investigate as you would sort of feel to it. And I worked, I've been working on this scenario. I was just looking through some old emails. August 2007 was when I, so nine years ago was when I answered an ad from Keith Herber, Keith Doc Herber, who sort of famed Call of Cthulhu writer and publisher. He worked for Chaosium. He, he was the line editor for a lot of the early 90s pieces, books that people um, are real, still really drawn to. And he spun up Miskatonic River Press back then and was creating a an Outer Gods book that he wanted to do, a really big, beefy scenario book for the four Outer Gods, which here's my Lovecraft trivia. So there's Azathoth, <laughs> Nyarlathotep, uh, Shubnagurath, and Yogg-Sothoth. Whew, Congratulations. Um, <laughs> thank you. The enunciation, <laughs> you're right on. <laughs> I know. Nyarlathotep is a tough one. And it, and and what's even worse is trying to is really learning how to spell that. If you, it, I had to do a journal. I did an online journal when we were I was running masks of Vinarlathotep, and it took me about six months to really figure out maybe be be able to spell it on the first try. Um, <laughs> so, but he wanted to do so. So Keith, so Doc, his nickname's Doc. So Doc's, uh, he had a a really broad understanding and history knowledge of both the Cthulhu mythos and Call of Cthulhu as a game and its history. He had been, he had been basically on square two with Chaosium Games in developing the line extensively. So he had had a, he, he was personally responsible for how Call of Cthulhu developed in the, I think the second and third editions. And again, his, this whole line, the, the Lovecraft country line with the Kingsport book and the, and the um, Arkham book and the King's, uh, or the uh, Dunwich book, and of course the Innsmouth book. He had had a hand in all of those, so he had this really uh, specific perspective on what had been done and where the gaps were. And he, and with the Outer Gods book, he he had in his mind doing this. He he wanted to have these four scenarios, one for each of these gods, and he wanted to make sure that the the scenarios themselves weren't getting bogged down and the tropes and cliches that had developed in the, you know, 25 years or 20 years since he had left, I guess it had been 15 years, whatever that 15, 20 years since he had been in the industry. And since he had worked and driving that line, he had seen a lot of these cliches build out and he wanted to make sure that these scenarios countered that. So I worked with him over about a year and a half through the fall from the fall of 2007 to the spring of 2009, wrote this massive, like 40,000 word first draft, right? Just it's practically a novella. Uh, and it was even more of a sandbox than it is today. And, and even ha- had even some extra scenes um, that may end up showing up in a, of a director's cut of, of sunspots, but just as this massive sandbox thing, but there were a couple of the story elements that he and I worked on, he, you know, and we put together this package of sunspots and he approved it for the outer God book. And then in the spring of 2009, he died early in his early 50s, very suddenly of a heart attack. And that was the end of the book. And so the book's been around for a long time. It's a couple of publishers have kind of come and gone with it. I've had it once I did my last Kickstarter. I actually was going to do this book for my first Kickstarter, Sunspots, and then it got taken by another publisher and that never happened. So when I was looking around for another book to do, um, I still had this one. So here we are. It's been a long ride. 
and now it's being published for 7th edition Call of Cthulhu as a officially licensed Chaosium scenario, which I think Doc would be very happy to hear. Oh, yeah, he would be very happy to hear that. Basically knowing that it's coming full circle back to Chaosium. Exactly. And it's the Chaosium we know and love, you know, <laughs> not the corporate one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so for for the group, now that we know that you know it's back to Chaosium, uh, I kind of think this is a moot question now. But uh, what about quick start rules for learning the game? So what I had done, what I did was he who laughs last. So that was my previous Kickstarter, and mm -hmm. I, I published it as a Cthulhu Dark. And Cthulhu Dark is a two-page rule Cthulhu investigation rules light system, right? It's uh, Graham Walmsley put it out. It's free online and. Uh, his his licensing agreement says, look, put it in the back of the book and make sure you give me credit. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's all he needs. So so spinning up a sort of a um, self-contained book, quick start book, um, is pretty straightforward with, with, with Cthulhu Dark. Obviously, with now that it's going to be a Call of Cthulhu book, it's going to be just a Call of Cthulhu book, but I'm going to publish... Uh, you went and bought the book. It's not going to be self-contained as a Call of Cthulhu book because you'll need the rules for that. But I will publish the Cthulhu Dark conversion rules online for free. So if you buy Sunspots and you just want to try it out without having to go down the path of Call of Cthulhu, you'll have the, the sort of quick start Cthulhu Dark rules available. Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was just, just uh, I mean, now that you're official, I'm like, it kind of actually just checking. On Drive Through RPG, there is a free Call of Cthulhu Quick Start rules. So, that, oh yes. So we can, we will we'll use we can use that as the answer as well. So you have both of them. That's true. Yeah, and, and there's um, I just, mean there's there's plenty of there's plenty of good stuff out there to to get people bootstrapped bootstrapped into the Cthulhu mythos, whether it's you know the the seventh edition rules or Cthulhu Dark. Um, yeah, it's it's out there and it's easy to find. But I just I just thought I'd throw it out there just in case, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for sunspots, where's a good place that folks can keep track of? Like we were talking earlier with the social media of what's going on with sunspots. Yeah. So I had this crisis of of conscience a couple months ago. Do you have a social media strategy? I really don't, but I get on social media and do what I can, where I can, when I can. Yeah. That's kind of my thing, too. I mean, I'm um, really good for helping other folks, but not good for doing my yeah. own. So. <laughs> right, right. It's, it seems like you're like, yeah, I could help that person. Yeah, here's the things you need to do. And then you sit down and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Yeah, I, I actually had a, a line item in my – I think it's the only thing that's not hasn't been officially done in my project plan for Sunspot's you know, social media strategy. Um, you know, I've got like 900 followers on Twitter. That's a – that's a very healthy Twitter following. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I'm not really sure what to do with those folks. I know there are some great folks out there. That's not the that's not the question. It's what am I going to do with 900 followers, right? Yeah. I don't I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, so my Twitter feed is at Sokolowski Dave. My Facebook author page is Dave Sokolowski and Weird Eight. Weird Eight dot com. W e i r d Eight, the number eight, dot com. So weird, eight dot com is my is my home. That's my blog, um, and that's where I at least try to keep up the pretenses of being, you know, this amateur writer. Um, 
and you can always follow, you can always interact with me there. I think, um, obviously for right now, it's all about the, the Kickstarter page itself. Um, and just kind of following along with that. I don't know. I, I, I would, I would have to politely disagree with the amateur writer part, seeing as you, you are a published writer, my friend. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I, um, I, I agree. And I, I was talking with, uh, my, actually I have a colleague in my day job who's an, who's a gamer as well. And we were, we were trying to figure out how we could make, uh, make a, as significant of a living as we make in technology is in role playing games and, and gaming. And, uh, I'm just not there. Uh, yeah, amateur. I am. And, and I have been professionally, I've been a, uh, a writer as well. I worked as a marketing and, and technical writer for 10 years or so. So I've made my life as a writer and, and that's why I keep doing it. I guess I think of myself, you know, until the day where I can make the majority of my income with my writing, it's always going to be a, it's always going to be second to my professional career which which we all unfortunately have to have yeah right so it's that i'm <laughs> everybody else is like well welcome to the club man so <laughs> right that's just the way it is but i but i appreciate i appreciate the gesture yeah it you know it's so cool to like the the 12 year old me which is is i mean this is you, have you seen stranger things mm -hmm. yeah yeah. So that's me. I mean, like that was me. That's almost the I'm almost the exact same age as, as the kids. Right. Um, so that was me. The 12 year old me is, is just turning over in his star Wars sheets. Um, just over being able to write gaming materials and have people want to buy them and think they're cool. So yeah, it's, it's totally fucking awesome. Man. It's, <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, as as an adult and a game player and a writer, I mean, it's important that people need to keep in touch with that twelve year old version of themselves. You know, that's what keeps the imagination firing. I mean, that's a yeah. I yeah, it, it's weird. I was uh, I haven't had a chance to read it, but um, there was a an article I just found it yesterday. It's on Screen Rant. It said, "When did Dungeons and Dragons become cool?" I haven't had a chance to dip my toes into it yet, but you know, just, just the zeitgeist and, and culturally, I mean, how great is it now to be an adult with disposable income? And, uh, I mean, I personally, I have an 11 year old daughter. I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons with her, but like we're, you and I are just sitting here and we're just talking about stuff, right? I mean, yeah. just fun stuff. And you're in Arizona, I'm in California, and, like, I was chatting with a guy who's out on the East Coast last night, and we're talking, you know, it's just, like, the culture, the geek culture, however, whatever you want to call it, is thriving now. Like, whether it's role-playing games or board games or, I mean, video games is its own thing, but, you know, just movies, and I was just, wa I'm, I'm binge-watching, catching up on The Walking Dead with your television, you know, it's, it's what a great time to be a nerd, right? I mean, there's just so much good stuff all the time. There's too much, right? There's just too much <laughs> cool ass shit all the time. Um, so yeah, you know, as opposed to like the 12 year old me, which had to go down to the toy store or the bookstore and like, just sort of like fawn over the D and D adventures that I, you know, would, would hopefully, you know, get for my birthday once a year, you know? Yeah, or saving up the every little penny you can to, to get something really awesome at the bookstore. Yeah, that really wasn't <laughs> my thing. I, 
I really wasn't very good at that. Um, but yes, I, I, you, you, the, many kids did save their hard-earned um, money to, to buy stuff. Certainly, fond, fond memories of that. And nowadays, nowadays it's true. Like I said, it's it. The culture's gone 180 from what it used to be. Of before, it was the little hobby you didn't talk about to the people shout from the top of the mountain. Now, you know, now it's actually cool the game, which. I'm just glad everybody's come to the realization of that role-playing games are just fun to do. It's it's the freest form of creative gaming out there possible because literally you have no limits because you're between your friends, you know. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, role-playing games, I, and I love a good board game any, any day of the week, but like role-playing games, there's, and I, I don't know where, someone was talking about it <clears throat> recently asking about is that art. And like, yeah, I think I think there's an element of art to role playing games because art to me is is in, the value is intangible, right? You can't mm-hmm. you you can't say specifically why a Picasso is good. You can't you can't measure it, right? It's just a Picasso, and there you're looking at it, you're like whatever that is, that's awesome, right? Or or music or literature, whatever that is, whatever art is, it, it has that's what makes it art. Is you can't just manufacture it. And there's something to a role-playing game experience that you can't measure, that you can't carbon copy. Uh, and, you know, that's the social dynamic, it's the imagination, it's the problem-solving. Um, it's awesome it's on so many levels. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like I told a friend of ours. It's w- One thing that I always tell all my gamers, that because I have had a few players who don't game in public, and I'm like, guys, come on, go to the convention with me, I'll sit in with you, we'll sit in another game, just to get that cross-culture of what other game tables feel like. And it's so nice, because I usually GM on stuff, is sitting down at another table and letting another GM do the work for, for one, mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. seeing their style. So that way I can start picking mm-hmm. up good things that they uh-huh. do and maybe I see something that I do that I don't like when they're doing it so I'm like okay I gotta make sure I'm not doing that because if my players see it from this point of view you know and it's 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 a constantly evolving thing I mean heck that's why we podcast our games because it's we originally when we started podcasting it was just to record our game sessions because we had some games that had like a month or two between game sessions so mm-hmm. I was podcasting for us so we could keep track of where we were last because I'd say hey guys Here's the link. Check out where we, what we did last week so we're all ready when we sit down and don't need a last time on our, our adventure type of catch-up right. moment. And then all of a sudden we started getting positive reviews and emails from people, and it's like, you guys like this? Okay, we like the game. We're cool with sharing. You're cool people. We're cool people. Let's be cool. And that's, that's, that's how our podcasts have started. And now the problem is trying to keep us from, from trying to podcast everything. <laughs> yeah, I think there's an element of, of – I mean, you – kind of crossing a couple of thoughts here that, that are around the same thing of like, in a lot of ways, whatever, I don't, I want to say it was repressed because, you know, you know, crazy role-playing game hysteria aside, like, I don't think we were re- repressed as children in the seventies or eighties or even nineties, however old you are, but like, whatever the deal is now, it's, it's okay to be a grown person and be openly be a geek. Like, I mean, it's just, like I have a friend, I, I know people who work at Google or Apple and they game together at work, right? They play role-playing games at work. Like just to your point, like people are playing, you go into Starbucks and people are playing a board game there or, you know, people people have, I'm running a D&D club at our middle school for the students That's uh, starting awesome. next week. Yeah, and it's it's just there. And, and, uh, and it's so funny to sit across from the other parents because I'm a parent, ha-ha, jokes. 
jokes on me, right? Like, I'm I'm a parent now. Uh-huh. I get I get to make decisions and be you know apparently responsible for things. So I'm like, screw this. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a D and D club for sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, right? And screw the high schoolers if they want to have their own D and D club. They can. They're old enough. They can figure it out. But I want a sixth, seventh, and eighth. Like this is this is it. This is gateway drug time. This is mm-hmm. I'm talking about middle, middle schoolers. But I, you know what I mean. I mean just. Uh, you know, this is D and D, right? Like, like this is, and, and the fifth ed is so great, and, and Wizards is doing such a great job of with the community at large. But like, it's okay for me now to. I, I'm like, I raised my hand at the parent teacher meeting, and I was like, just so everybody knows, I'm having a D and D club for middle schoolers every other week on Thursdays, and like half the class of, of just parents looks at me and goes, Oh, okay. Well, what's what's involved in that? Oh, like. Like, oh, and, and, but some of them were like, oh my gosh, she's, she's talking about these things in public. Oh my gosh. And it's like, you know, like, I could just we, see, we, I could just see hands yeah. covering mouths going, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, he's Satan worshiper. Oh my God. Right. But it's, but it's out in the open. Right. And, and now, and now we have critical mass behind us. Right. Mm-hmm. Or critical role as the case may be. But, you know, uh, we have the critical mass. Nerd culture has risen up and has staked its claim and you know i don't know if it if if was lord of the rings like the turning point that seems like it it could have yeah. um like when hobbit lord of the rings came out all of a sudden people it was cool to be fantasy oriented yeah and and the harry potter thing you know if you look at if you if you match up if you if you add up both the books you know the years of the books plus the years of the movies i think it's like 10 12 years from when the book first came out to where the last movie came out. I, I don't know the math off my top of my head, but that's got to be from like 2000 to 2012 or something like that. Or nine, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. And that really, that really brought a lot of people out. I think that a lot of, you know, it was a young adult book, but a lot of adults got into Harry Potter and they brought their kids along too. They're like, yeah. you know, they read to their kids and they're like, we're both, we're all, the whole family's into Harry Potter, damn it. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be weird about it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to celebrate this with my family and other people who were like, Oh, you can do that now. Well then I'm going to bring my kids too, you know? And that, that, that period of time between, you know, with, and with the internet, you know, sort of like 99 to 2010, you know, we turned a corner there and yay, geeks are in charge. <laughs> Hey, you're you're oh, absolutely and, right. I mean, go ahead. Well, and it and it. I was just to say. Oh, and it turned out there's a lot of money in there as well. <laughs> I'm oh. sure that that was. I'm sure that that was a thing with with Lord of the Rings, and you get things like The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, right? And it's like, oh, then the business people are like, well, uh, if if they're as long as they're as long as they smell okay, they can come along, sort of thing. Yeah, because it, it's funny how when the money gets behind something, how quickly it becomes a cool thing too. Because, mm-hmm. I mean. I've been into zombie movies ever since the first time back in the early, early, early 80s when I saw the original Night of the Living Dead. And right. all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, you watch that movie, you watch that movie. Nowadays, it's like I can't go to a single location that I'm there for more than two or three hours without someone bringing up The Walking Dead in some for, form or fashion. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's now Absolutely. a cultural phenomenon. And it's just basically because people have gotten behind it and say, I enjoy this. I mean... Heck, my wife, because I was a fan of the comic book way before it became a TV show, and of course, all of a sudden I'd be like, "Honey, you gotta see this panel," because she, of course, doesn't <laughs> like to do gore and zombies and stuff, and her sister's a zombie phobe. Right. But she's like, "Oh my god!" Like, there's a scene in, well, 
spoilers, spoiler alert, yeah. the scene for an Alexandria when a certain person got shot in the face, the comic book scene is just horrific if you look, ever get a chance to look at the final panel of the of that issue where a certain person turns around and goes, da, and you look and see a crater on like a quarter of his face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep, so, I, yeah, I've read most of the comics, um, so it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and like the prison scene when, when Laurie, you know, leaves the story, that just that plain yeah. black and white cell, no gore, yeah. just showing the shadows of what happened, and then the look in Rick's face as he's pushing Carl through the fence saying, just go, don't look back. Yeah, you know? oh, I think of that scene <sighs> where they're leaving, he's got that amazing scene where he's leaving and he's got the he's got the baby in his hand and they're up on the hill above which is kind of weird because it doesn't really have a hill but they're they're it, just the perspective is the you know the the wide shot of the prison sort of burning behind them mm-hmm. right <laughs> and and he's just like oh let's go let's go and yeah fantastic. yeah it's and it, it was an amazing comic book which and thankfully the, they're honoring the comic book with the show but keeping it a little different so it's just enjoyable mm-hmm. it's just enough to keep you on your toes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're you're right. The culture it's 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 amazing that everybody can discuss openly. You know, it's it's a forgiving culture. You know, I'd have to say because it's like, please tell me your thing, and I like to share my thing with you. And our things, hey, look, same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good time. Good time. We had a we had a pretty good off topic there, but. <laughs> That's all right. We're just talking about it. it's it's um, but but and but that circles back to Cthulhu because you can just the way you can kind of you can kind of you know whether you roll your eyes or just kind of sigh when someone starts talking about zombies, you know, it, have we reached peak Cthulhu? Um, you know, it comes in ebbs and flows. Oh, definitely. But you know, but just to your just to the conversation, like H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos is. Far, I mean, it used to be a subculture of a subculture. I mean, oh, zombie yeah. movies were one thing, but if you were into H.P. Lovecraft, like, you were really weird. Um, and even Call of Cthulhu used to be, you know, uh, used to be, uh, it, and it still is, you know, it's a subculture of subculture. If you really look at how big D&D is, you know, all of the games that we've talked about are are just slices of that. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm on this Facebook group in for Fifth, fifth Ed, and it's like 22,000 members. Right. I mean, it's just massive, right? The amount of content that just kind of sweeps through, uh, you know, since that is so big and, and all of our little fun, little, you know, uh, little genre RPGs are s- such small slices of it. And, and the Cthulhu mythos is, is part of that. But, you know, it's got there are plushies and there are bobbleheads and there are playing cards. And I know I know of people who were, you know, sort of in the oh, you know, original gangster OG Cthulhu crowd back in the eighties and nineties and threw up their hands and <laughs> ten years ago and were like, "It's it's too it's too cool, it's too hit, man," yep. and left. You know, <laughs> and I think that just speaks to again, you know, it, there are some elements that are really interesting to a lot of people, and just because of the internet and because of the acceptability of geek culture, it's becoming more and more. Um, I don't know, uh, widely known. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, openly, it, uh, uh, openly spoke of. Yeah, right. Just available and and um, it's good. It's just a, it's a great time to be a geek and and you know whether we're talking about Cthulhu or Walking Dead or um, or RPGs, you know, 
there's just so much to choose from. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, heck, I, I completely agree about the, the subgenres of RPG because we joke about we have three podcasts. We do one that does like currently Fantasy Flight Star Wars, and a bunch of reviews and one shots and things that we get to review and stuff like that. Then we've got our Scion RPG one where we do White Wolf Scion RPG, which Onyx Press is revitalizing and a 2.0 will be out soon. But then you have our D&D podcast, which is massive. It's got three times the listenership. It's got more interaction mm-hmm. from the listeners. I mean, it's mm-hmm. huge how you just put D&D and everyone flocks to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's... It, there's something to be said for that. I mean, this is that thing where you get into... Um, uh, the. Uh, there's the term. There's a marketing term for it, right? Where where the, it's basically the first to the for the first to the table, right? And the mm-hmm. first the person to sort of really break the ground with something, whether it's uh, you know, and transform the experience, whether it's an iPhone or whether it's you know some sort of app or whatever, but or some sort of cultural touchstone like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, you can make arguments all day long. I have people who have who have more time than me to think about this stuff, who get mad at me for even talking about 5th edition because Hasbro is this massive corporation and all you're doing is feeding the massive corporation and selling out and it's a commodity and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to figure out a cool game that my 11-year-old can play with her friends that I don't have to explain what Dungeon World is and what's Dungeon World, right? (laughs) If I say Dungeons and Dragons, Everybody knows what I mean. Exactly. It's it's one of those landmark things that you immediately understand of, aha! You know, it's like looking at a map and saying north. You say north, everyone knows what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people get Dungeons and & Dragons, and people... And now, with I, I think that, again, this is back to Wizards. They've done such a great job with the Fed. The game system's really accessible and easy to use. And is it the best game system ever? No. Is it... Are there much cooler, uh, you know role-playing game experiences sure um but if you're but a lot of people don't need that right so. yeah and i mean honestly i've loved every edition since i got a hold of first as a kid i played second worked up i really liked fourth you know but you know i do agree with what think the good and bad that was said about fourth and then i love fifth i mean i love in fifth edition how you've got the inspiration to motivate the players to play in character and trust me, mm-hmm. like, like in our podcast, D&D, during the 5th edition, they do it all the time. And of course, mm-hmm. as, as a good GM, I remind them, hey guys, I don't have enough space in my head to keep track of all of your flaws and backgrounds. So if you do, right. tap your character sheet in a knowingly poker gesture like you're wanting to double down, uh, and oh, I will nice. throw that inspiration chip at you. Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's my tip, because that way I don't have to... Like, same thing when we play uh, Dresden Files or Fate. Yeah. It's when yeah. you're playing to your aspects and I didn't catch it, let me yeah. know, because the GM's busy trying to weave a cool story for you guys that you get into, as opposed to, you know, keeping track of everything. Even though, and if, if you're planning in advance, you want to try to hit those key points on characters just to, just to mess with them, you know, in the good way. But, you know, it's, it's, it's always good to remind them how their characters are supposed to be played, too. But fifth edition no, does a, it does a really good ver- version of that. They do, but I, I really appreciate that sort of GM tip of because you you find yourself as a DM you, you know you're sliding in and out of the story and the meta right you're mm-hmm. trying to maintain the rules but you also if you're in the story you don't want to you know sort of break out of that so it's great I love I love giving the players just the the ability or or 
this, you know, here's a signal to use to let me know that you're, you know, t- just tapping, literally tapping on a little game mechanic. I love it. Mm-hmm. And it's usually because I, I play poker, so when you do the double down hand sign, it's pretty pretty yeah. easy and obvious across the table. But it's not interrupting right. the flow. Like if somebody's starting a nice explanation of what their character is doing, you know, it's it's not you know disrupting the energy and the flow of the table. Mm-hmm. Cool. And of course, another thing I like with fifth edition is I can say this is an advantageous or disadvantageous situation. I, right. I, when it comes to my playing, I always like my players to think tactical because I've got this whole tactical mentality of how the game and the map and all. So I like it when they do things like use a sniper's blind or something like that just to get advantage through a smart tactic, you know. And fifth sure. edition gives you that option now, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. So they the the and the, the advantage disadvantage rule smoothed out so much, right? What mm-hmm. an easy way to just get the game going. And and, and it gives, in my opinion, it reminds GMs that you have permission to reward them for playing good, you know, because a lot of GMs, you know, especially new GMs when they're starting out, they don't know they have the permission to help the players, too, because when all is said and done, it's it's our story we're moving along, you know, at no point do you want to, like, you know, make it a, a us versus them type of thing, which sometimes it's good to let the players think you're doing that, but that's just good GMing. If you're slipping into your NPCs and you're, you're, they want to come after you and take you down because you're in character and they're in character and heat of the moment, and then all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, you you were on our side? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things that I personally like about GMing is the theatrical bit of I get to play everybody, so I'm not tied down to yeah. just one character. Sure. It, it, for me, it, it, um, it, it just uh, scratches my itch of sort of, I want to do everything my way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. To be a good GM, you do have to have a bit of a control issue, you know, if if you, yeah, 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 that's a thing. I spent many years as a professional project manager and my friend, who does not, who is not a gamer at all, astutely observed. He's like, "There's a lot of correlations between you being a project manager and you being a GM, isn't there?" I was like, "Oh, it's, it's all, it's all it is, right? It's just the ability to wrangle people and get them to do what you want them to do. That's mm-hmm. both of those, those things, all, absolutely. All while keeping like 81 more projects in the background of your head going on, because that's yeah. the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly." I mean, that's that's one thing, you know, with, you know, when I've been with newer GMs and stuff, I, I occasionally will do the little note of, like, you might want to suggest this. Psh, there you go. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, as a GM, i got to temper myself when I play the not to do that because I'm like, it's my game. Just got to sit back and let it happen, you know. Yeah, so let me – that's a great that's a great topic to talk about. What? <laughs> so you're at a table and as a player, and there are a few different ways it can go down, but – what do you do when the GM either doesn't know their, I mean, A, doesn't, maybe doesn't know the rules well enough, B, isn't explaining the rules well enough, or C, is, is losing track of the table in a way that you wouldn't have done? Like, what's your, what's your own personal etiquette for when, because I, I struggle with this a lot, like, because I'm such a control freak. I've, I know that I've rudely taken over a table before because, they're losing the table and they've almost lost everyone for the entire game. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm just going to explain how the rules work because this guy's clearly an idiot. But, but, but like, 
that's not my place. Is that my place? What, what's your take on that? See, that's a really hard one because, like me, when I'm running a game, there's sometimes I will just throw a rule out because it's interrupting fun. Fun is rule number one at my yeah. table, you know. But yeah, honestly, yeah. I'll you know when it comes to rule rule calling because I don't ever want to be a rule lawyer because back when I used to play, we had a GM that was a massive rule lawyer. So we yeah. basically got beat to death with every rule. I always wait till they, I mean, you know, give them a chance to look it up if need be, or I'll suggest, would you like me to look that up while, while we're continuing on? So that way, you know, because my thing is, make a call, stick with it. If it's wrong, we'll fix it next game session. You know, because sitting there flipping through the book, that's that's one reason why I try to avoid Pathfinder, is flipping <laughs> through the 10,000 rules slows yeah. down the the energy of the table and then all of a sudden people are, are lethargic and in, in my opinion when they come back and the energy the spark's gone you know you've lost that moment yeah. so i always yeah. prefer the whole i'll you know let the gm make the call because usually me like i said i'll just make the freaking call and say hey let's go with it let's go on you know and then if he he really wants to look it up i'll offer to look it up while he continues doing the gming you know because that way you can have the whole sidekick rule lawyer thing um, the other one when it comes to the groups basically derailing from a story, usually if I'm lucky, my character has enough leeway and character with him that I can use my character to get, try to get the story back on track. Even if it's just mm-hmm. something as simple as I walk up to a guy in the bar and punch him in the face, because now we have at least a fight going on. You know, <laughs> That way it's at least making something happen instead of this whole everyone wanting to do something different. You know. Like, me personally, when it comes to D&D playing, I love to play bards and rogues. I really do. It's, it's, it's just one of those nice. things I love to... It's the, it's the character type I love to do. I mean, when we were in uh, Rincon last year, we were playing World of Dew. It's a, a local... Uh, up in Phoenix, a local game designer made this game based on the Fate system. And it's a really fun game where you're playing in Japan. And I was oh, playing... I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Ben, ben if, you, if you ever meet him, Ben is a great guy. And uh, I was playing the Traveling Sanshin, which is basically a bard in Japan. And at one point, our group made this horrible mistake of the geisha, you know, madam, who was my wife's character, who, by the way, my character and her character hated each other. Because mm-hmm. our very first interaction, I knew that her mistress had my my mother's lost Sanshin, the guitar. And I basically lied to her, but I failed horribly, so she knew I lied. That, you know, oh, yeah, your <laughs> madam said she was going to give that to me today. Can I have it? Because part of your character's goals is you have to accomplish something. So her and I right. hated each other. But when we world build right. the, the, this game at the con, I make my money playing music at the at the geisha house. So right. all of our tough members of the group, we had a Yakuza guy, we had a, a, a half-demon guy, and another fighting monk, they all went looking for who they suspected was the bad guy. Well, in the meantime, because, you know, Ben's got to run a quick con game. It's only four hours. He basically decided that the thugs were coming to the geisha house. Because basically, since your madam's dead, she was the head of the Yakuza. Our gang's taking over. It's now our geisha okay. house. And right. the thing is, my character only has one trick. I'm great at music, and I'm only good at pulling a sword and striking once. I have that cool samurai quick draw technique that I was learning when I was going to become a Yakuza, but I quit the Yakuza. Which is why my character had issues with everybody in the group. So I'm, <laughs> I'm ex-Yakuza on top of it. But I'm in close enough and I have enough favors that they allowed me to live in town. And basically we had to do a bunch of cool role-playing aspects of her character secretly drugged the gang. My character was playing music to calm them, to make them want to drink the tea. And then as she, things were going bad, I mean, shit was getting really bad because her and the head of the the Golden Claw, the, the head of the Yakuza, were, were going to get physical. 
And, of course, my guy's like, you know, I hate her, but I'm not going to let somebody rough her up, you know. <laughs> it's Especially because we're talking, you know, hey, you know, she's, she is my living. So, of course, my character, sure. you know, changes his, his musical tune to he's now playing fight music. Because the way the game works is you want to build up aspects on the scene. So I know yeah. I've got one shot on this guy and one shot only. After I take my shot, I'm a dead man. So I'm playing fight music to get some bonus dice for my next attack. And all of a sudden, she poisons them to get bonuses to my next attack. And we built this whole cool scene up of all of a sudden, I drop my sanction like drumsticks, go straight for the sword and go right for his head. Now, I hit him, took him out of the game, but unfortunately, in, in, in World of Two, you bet dice. So you have you hold some of your dice pool back, which lets you add a little more story elements as you, you win or you succeed or fail. Unfortunately, the bad guy had enough dice held back that he was able to take me out at the same time, which was cool for story purposes. Here, my guy drops his sanction, cuts the guy with the sword, taking him out, and he takes his claw and buries it in my chest. And that's, nice. that's just the kind of, you know, for me, I like to push the story along. Hopefully, I'm going in the direction the GM expected. If not, hey, at least something interesting's happening you can play with, you know. Because usually my trick when I play is I want to give the GM plenty of fodder, you know. You want to give them ammunition yeah. that they can use. Because, I mean, like when I run games, I always reward my players' experience if they give me a backstory that has someone that likes them, someone that hates them, and someone that they've lost in their past. You know, so that way, mm -hmm. that way, it's their story. You know, it's anytime you watch a TV show or a movie, your characters aren't just the here and now; they're everything that came before and everything that comes after. So it's one right. of those of you got to make sure it's it's not just the adventures written, it's not just the characters. Role playing games magic comes from it's everybody. You know, it's 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 yeah. all of that tied together because, you, you know, you and I both know that you can take five different groups from the same adventure for five different groups yeah. and have five completely different left field things happen. You know. Yeah. And that's just you know one of the beauties of role playing games. Yeah, I like your I like your philosophy of giving the GM fodder of, of being that player who, you know is supporting the the game not just not just being there you know it, mm -hmm. because because you have the experience because you have the know-how of understanding what's really at stake like from a meta standpoint of of you know not making sure that everybody has fun because you're not responsible for anyone other than yourself ultimately but you want to support the GM in in their uh, trying to provide a platform where everybody have fun right and and you know being engaged and and adding to the story so much that there's enough for the GM or maybe even other players to chew on. I think that's I think that's totally the right way to go. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing I always have to you know try to make sure I don't over you know try to steal too much of the, the spotlight type of thing. Right. That's, that's mine. Of usual, I'll try to like have a cool big outburst, and I'm like, okay, next scene I can sit back and I don't have to do much. <laughs> as long as the energy's going, my character can you know, hey, I hit that guy in the face. Now I have to be in the shadows. <laughs> Yeah, I play so infrequently that I I find I'm usually I usually can do a pretty good job of, of only you know, like acting out when it's appropriate just because I'm usually like sort of in awe of wow okay I'm playing because it's it, I, I've got one campaign that I'm playing in Dungeon Crawl Dungeon Crawl Classics which is great and that's it I think that's the only thing I'm well I'm playing this D and D game tonight um, and it's just so nice to be able to like just take a full step back. I usually play, I guess, when I go to conventions. But just take that full step back and be like, okay, what is my character about? Like, what is, 
I'm just going to spend a moment. And everybody else is like, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to spend a few moments here and kind of think about my character and like, where do I fit in all this? And like you said, like, even if it's not explicit of like, okay, who do you know? You know, who have you lost? Who do you hate? Or who do you, who do you like? Who do you hate? And what have you lost? Who have you lost? Mm-hmm. Which is a great way. Even if you're not being explicit about that, like even just thinking about like, well, what's my character's place in this universe? And, and how can I contribute to the story? Yeah, and I, I like being able to have to being able to get to do that and then not having to be on. I mean, that's the one thing about being a GM, right? Is that you're just basically on all the time. And if you're a player, you're not all on all the time. Mm-hmm. So, sorry. yeah, I mean, and that honestly, like one of the things that we've been planning on doing is doing a uh, GM support group at our local game store. And oh, cool. that way GMs can play with other GMs. And then, you know, we can yeah. provide feedback to each other. Of, hey, so, you know, because every time we do conventions and things is, you know, like, because we cosplay. So when, when we, we perform a conventions, I always do a military-style debriefing at the end of the convention. After all, you know, right. we're all exhausted. It's done. You're, we can relax. And it's like, I always start with the same format of, okay, so what's the thing that we did that we are never going to do because it sucked royally? So that way we can make sure it's in a mental check note of we're never doing this again because it just it flopped. Okay, so what did we do that was good, but we definitely need to improve on? You know, it was it was it was sustainable, but we we need to improve. And then you, we always end with the okay, what did we do that rocked this con? You know, so that way you end on the right. high point. So that way we can yeah. as GMs we can do the same thing and kind of like talk to each other about different games, you know, because not all GMs can run all games, you know. Some some GMs yeah. love one system and hate the rest, you know. Me, personally, I'm one no, of those guys of... I, I love every style of GM, of game because it covers a different mm-hmm. type of story. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm basically a gaming slut. Like, I'll, I'll play pretty much any type of board game. I'm into war games. I'm into role-playing games. I play, you know, I play everything from D&D 5th Ed to, you know, I don't know, um, I'll play some. I mean, my, I just dug up, my friend did a, you know, a little four-page uh, role-playing game. I don't know if we ever actually played it, but it's called Custodian, um, <laughs> where you're role-playing a custodian where you can get them office late at night. But to your point, it's always good to, as a GM, to play in other players' games. That's a lesson. That was a lesson that was sort of, that's sort of like the, that's a le- next level. Like when you graduate to like, third or fourth level GM. Like the first thing you, your first marching orders are, okay, the first thing you have to do is go play in 12 games. You're like, but I'm learning how to be a GM. Exactly. Yep. So you have to go sit in other people's games. Oh, because that's how you're going to learn how to be better is to watch other people. And you, and you got to play in games that are shitty with shitty GMs because there are shitty GMs. Sorry, mm-hmm. there yeah, are. It, it does Sorry, happen. Folks. It does happen. I've been a shitty GM though before, so and there are really good GMs, and then there's everything in the middle. And hopefully, obviously, we obviously ideally you get to have a beautiful experience every time. But if you're open-minded and if you're trying to grow as a GM, you kind of have to sit in. Like I sat in a couple years ago. I sat in this Call of Cthulhu game that is still mind-boggling how this GM pulled it off because it was it wasn't horrible, but it was it was like a C minus. And if it was an F, then that would be just a disaster. And you could have, you know, it almost wraps around into, you know, um, being funny because it's so bad. And this wasn't it. This was just mediocre. And like a couple me and a couple other players basically took took it on ourselves to, like, bring the game out of <laughs> mediocrity, you know. And, and but but I certainly learned from playing in that game. I learned a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, so. I, I agree. I mean, there's one game that I played in where, you know, not naming names or anything or game systems, but I rolled a natural 20, and it didn't succeed. Now, I admit, huh. as, as a player, I, I felt burned by that, because I'm like, this, this plan I had was cool, it was awesome, it was going to save the day, it was going to keep our group from being killed, and huh. all of a sudden, I'm told, my natural 20 fails. What? But, yeah. but, but what? <laughs> and of course, you right. know, I immediately, as soon as he said no, I'm like, okay, don't be that guy. I shook it off, rolled with it. I'm like, right. okay, so I did my thing, and he, he basically kills my character. I mean, you know, as a response for my, you know, his response for huh. And I'm like, okay, well, learning lesson, you know, okay. <laughs> As a, and yeah. it's just just one of those things that, you know, it's good that that happened because that way I make sure I can feel as a player never to let that happen, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to, you know, becoming a good GM, um, so much of it has to do with just logging hours both as a player and a GM, right? You have to be on both sides of the screen and you have to try stuff. And I mean, I actually ran into a player once a long time ago who we were like, hey, man, we had this really great Call of Cthulhu campaign going on. Actually, this was the group that I first play tested uh, Sunspots with um, back in back in 2008. And we, they, we all had this mutual friend. He ran the board game group that we all had met at. And we were all, dude, come on, come join us. And he's like, no, no, I played this D&D game once. It was really, really good. And so I just don't want to ever, like, I, my opinion of role-playing games is so good. I just don't want to take the chance and have it not work out. And, we're, and we all were like, what? <laughs> what, kind of, what, the, what? What kind of, that's, that's like saying I had sex once and it was awesome and I don't want to ever ruin that memory. Like, what the, what, what on earth? But, but to the point, like, you have to, you have to get, get out there and you have to play in games that are good and you have to play in games that are bad and you have to run them and you have to play in them. And that's why cons are so great, right? Because it really gives you an opportunity to to um, see, see all sides of the spectrum. Oh, yeah. Find new game systems, right? Yeah, I mean, end of the month, we're, I'm looking forward to go to RingCon this year because uh, Sean Fannin's going to be there to play Savage Rifts. Oh, cool. And, and I'm a huge yeah, Rifts fan, so I'm, like I told him, I was like, Sean, is it okay if we podcast this? And he's like, well, if the players are cool <laughs> with it, I'm cool with it. And I've never had players say they're not cool with it. I'm like, yes. Because I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know he's a fan of a friend of Kevin's. So I'm like, you know, just hoping that he just, I want to see how he runs Rifts compared to how I used to run it back in the 90s, you know. Yeah. See, I, I want to yeah, see I, the, the new flavor of it. Well, I listened to your uh, your podcast, your interview with him, and you guys, you obviously, I, 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 I just know Rifts from like a distance right it, it came and went and I, I i wasn't doing a lot of role playing in the 90s when it was when it was going on and uh, other than call of Cthulhu, that was the only thing i was doing so i didn't experience any of that and you guys were like <laughs> i was like well i'm so happy for you that you are happy so um, i'm happy when my fellow nerds are happy right so. but yeah it's definitely go out play games good bad or indifferent you know and Heck, a lot of games out there folks would never get into because, like, uh, the new Fantasy Flight Star Wars games, Edge of Empire, Force and Destiny, Age of Rebellion. So many players that I've had come into my games were intimidated by the new dice system. It's an amazing right. narrative dice system. And it, you can pick it up. I've never had anyone not be a master by an end of one four-hour game session with those dice. Every, every time they've played, you know, especially if you use like the pre-gen character sheets as templates for players, they pick it up and start flowing with it really easy because you need to empower them to, hey, you have these advantages, 
how do you use it? You just tell me, and I'll say yes or no, you know. So that way they feel empowered as opposed to the, I rolled this, you tell me what it does, you know. And it just takes, you know. Yeah. To finish your thought. Oh, oh. It, it just takes that, that, that permission to, to have fun and go with it, you know. Yeah, I need to um, I need to check out your guys. That's one one section I haven't listened to yet. Um, and I've got Edge of Empire, and I've had a couple failed attempts at trying to get those going, uh, get a game of that going, but I haven't I haven't got, I haven't been able to grasp how that exactly what you're talking about, just how the narrative interacts with the dice. I haven't been able to figure that out. And I think what I need to do, just to our point, is go and play in a game, and I need to have. Uh, I need to have a GM who's confident in running the game bring me into the fold and, and, and brainwash me because I've, I've got two sets of the dice and I know my daughter who's, who loves Star Wars would, uh, would love for me to figure out how to, how to run a game of that. But, um, but to your point, it's, there, there, there is that just giving permission to have fun. Like you, you come in and with, sometimes you feel like the mechanic is impeding you in the ability to have fun, but if you want to give, give your players permission. Yeah, that's, that's just one thing I always like is the whole include someone so they have permission to just have fun, you know. Because there's yeah. nothing worse than when you see new players come in a room and they're intimidated and there's a, you know, because in gaming you have that habit of, of groups being super cliquish because it's a tight knit of friends, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to make sure that, you know, hey, new person, it's okay to be one of us. You're one of right. us. <laughs> right, exactly. Or as you know, I joke in some of our games is the the quietest person in the room is the one I pick on. Nice. Hey, random exactly. encounter because you're really quiet, so now you have to join right. us. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, if you ever listen to our D and D ones, it's usually Nicole because she's usually really, really quiet and shy. <laughs> so nice. all of a sudden, it's like, okay, Nicole, it's on you. Yeah. Of course, I got to. She's an amazing player. She comes up with such crazy, cool ideas. In, well, that's in, great, and that kind of goes back to that sort of being pensive as a player like you know that's that's great to be to have have the quiet ones be amazing right that's kind of what you want yeah i mean I'm, i had a fond memory of the first time her and Brittany played D because they actually they, they saw us i'm like can i join you guys and learn D? i made a mini scenario where the two of them played and she played her druid and at the end of this little mini scenario she asked if she could turn into a d a elk and stomp this, the guy that's running away from her because he's, he's running too far away that she can't catch up. I'm like, well, elks have that ability to do that stomp in the, in the, the back of the, the player's handbook. So, yes, huh? yes, you can. And she's like, yeah. And she did the whole huh. transform, run out, catch up to him with no problem, and then stomp him, and she rolled a natural 20. It's like, see, uh, you can you can try anything. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. We were uh, – I, w- I was – the, my first pass at um, running game for my my daughter and her friends. Then when they were they were in fourth and fifth grade, if they were they were in fifth grade, and one of the boys at the table he brought his brother along who was in fourth. And this kid, everyone's like, "Yeah, come on in, in, come on in, come play with us." And he had he just knew that his older brother was playing this game, and he wanted in. He had no idea what it was, you know. So I just gave him a pre-gen. I was like, "Here's a character, you know, and just I'll, I'll let you know when it's your turn, and then you probably want to attack, but you know, you give me an idea." And so, you know. He, finally you know get into combat and come around the corner this kid's like nine years old right he's just got these saucer eyes right he's sitting <laughs> at the table with the big kids right which are and they're all 10 and 11 they're a couple dads but for the most part it's just like but it's all bigger kids right he's the youngest youngest kids at the table and you know he's like okay um 
what, what are you going to do? And, and he's got these big eyes at me. He's like, uh, I was like, you probably just want to attack with, with the, your, your um, hammer that you've got there. So, okay. I attack with my hammer. I was like, okay, come up to the goblin. You smash with, go ahead and roll. And he rolls. And again, he says that he never played. He, I, I didn't teach him any rules. I didn't, I, I just sat him down, gave him a character sheet and said, I'll tell you when to go. Um, and I guess to go ahead and roll the D20. He rolls and he rolls a 20, a natural 20. Uh. And the table, the table, like he doesn't know what that means, right? The table uh. erupts, right? His, his first roll. And they're like, dude, you're so awesome. You're so awesome. Ah, D20, natural 20. And everyone's high fiving him. And he's just got his, like, his eyes got even bigger. And he's like, I don't know what I did, but that was cool. <laughs> that, and, and dude, that's the magic, you know? Because also now he knows that, you know, oh my God. All these people who I look up to and really, really adore think I'm awesome. Yeah, and it's and he's part and he and he got to be part of it's a group thing, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's there's there's this, that social dynamic, which is what we were first talking about, right? It's just that social dynamic of role playing games, getting everyone together to create a story, and is is just magical. Just be magical. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, Kelly and I were joking when we recorded our RBG a day for last month for 2016. When it came to what makes a good part, a good gr- you know group of friends gaming, and it's like breaking bread. You know, having a meal before or after a game or somewhere mm. in the middle helps reinforce that good social aspect of you know bunch of fun friends getting together, having fun, and actually you know relaxing and just enjoying their time together. Yeah, there's always those, there are always those sessions where if you know, if by whatever means um, the group, you know, doesn't get together, let's say you're meeting weekly, right? And then mm-hmm. a few weeks go by, like there's a, there's a holiday. It usually happens around the holidays, or but they, like there's a holiday and then someone goes out of town and then the host isn't available. It's like there's two or three weeks where the group hasn't been together. And then they finally have, get back and there's that first, like it's almost an hour or two. You sometimes <laughs> can lose an entire game session because everyone's like, <laughs> and you look up and you're like, well, it's 10:30. Are we getting a game tonight or not? And it's like, well, okay, let's start. Hold on a second. <laughs> exactly. We always call those the kibitzing sessions. I mean, yeah. uh, like like right now we've got uh, due to conventions coming up, we're going to be having a bit of a break on our D and D game on Saturday. So we've joked that we need to have dinner one or two nights to keep the the, the, the oh, yeah. catching upness down to a minimum. Totally. It's like we've been joking about that one. It's like so it's going to be three weeks between game sessions. I mean, part of the group's sad because when we go to California to Gaslight Gathering in October, is I'm going to be having a D and D game there with some friends in California who want to learn D and D. So it's you know we're planning I'm going to have this game for you guys and probably like live cast it or something on top of on top of podcasting it for them. Because, you know, cool. that way my other players can either, you know, chime in on Facebook while we're live casting and it makes, you know, snide remarks <laughs> or, you know, right. get to see what they missed out on. <laughs> and then, no, of course, I think it's, I, as soon as we get back to town, they want to get together and have a, have a dinner session. Of course. Now, I think that uh, having the dinner sessions in between game sessions is critical because yeah, that social dynamic is, is so important. It's such an important component of of your group of any group, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, and it reinforces the friendships that you have at the game table. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I always joke that you could have complete strangers come to your table and a month later you're close friends, you know. It's almost like you've got the fellowship, you know, if you've been through these experiences together, you know, time in the trenches and all. I always, uh, I, I totally get that, and, and that's totally me. I always think it's weird when I, like, if I run a game 
or I play in a game at a con and I have a really good experience. And then I see someone from that game like a year later. I'm like, hey, dude, what's up? And they're like, uh, uh, socially awkward. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I thought, thought we had a thing going, but yeah. right, see you later. You know, we had the, the, the fellowship of the game table. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of that. But um, apparently not everybody is. And I get that we're gamers and that there are a lot of socially awkward people, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I'm totally an extrovert, so I'm totally willing to just be like, hey, dude, what's up? But yeah, I mean, definitely, it's the, you know, we joke, you know, because we do, you know, regular Comic-Con and stuff between gaming cons, and we joke about, you know, I forgot your name, but I know your face, because you're, you're con people. You know, it's it's one of those, uh, stuff, right. you know, you have that fellowship of, I know you, we're, we're able to sit, talk, chat, catch up like it was yesterday that we talked out, talked last, you know, because it's just that you have that natural simpatico issue of, you know, we've, we've gamed together, we, we, we're cool with each other, you know. And that's one amazing thing with gaming that it can do that. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's so it's so good on so many levels. My my wife occasionally jokes about of, of your old gaming war buddies, you know. Yeah. That we can just sit there, you know, you know, and when I talk to my old friends back in high school and stuff, and we used to game a lot, we sit back and have all the old war stories, you know, about gaming. <laughs> of course, you know, a lot of those she'd look at it and go. I would never game with that person. I'm like, well, that's why we were as good a gamer as we are nowadays, because we made it through the trenches. That's right. Yeah. No, you, uh, a lot of times when we were young, we gamed with who we could game with. So mm-hmm. um, I find myself, I've been, especially now, I mean, living in the Bay Area, it makes it easy just because there's so, much, so many quality games and gamers around. Uh, I find myself really fortunate just at the quality of gamers and gamemanship that mm-hmm. that are around here it's it's just fantastic i just there's no shortage of good gaming good goodness but that didn't come out right good gaming crunchy goodness yeah right <laughs> yeah i mean heck back after high school for a while there of course you know after high school everybody splits their own directions i actually got good experience on jamming a single player playing a game with game balance you know because we oh, wow. we literally had a few months there where it was just you know I, I knew he liked gaming and that was one of his outlets and it's the rest of the group were gone for, for the most part it's like hey let's get together and have a once a week little mini game you know and learning to run a solo player through a game is a really important skill for GMs in my my opinion oh yeah it, I, I I totally agree I, I played D and D when I a lot of the D and D I played when I was growing up was just two players, one player have eight characters or whatever. But I think I think you're talking about something else. Yeah, um, one player, think, one character. I, yeah, I think Pelgrane Press is actually coming out with, not I think, Pelgrane Press is actually coming out with, just to bring it all the circle around back now that we're about out of time, uh, uh, circle back to the Cthulhu thing. You know, the original Cthulhu, you look at Lovecraft stories, they were a single, single protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pelgrane Press is doing a game um, that is has the game balance in it for a gamekeeper, you know, game master and a single investigator. Uh, but I think that to your point, figuring out how to do that yourself as a GM, I think is a really important skill. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, especially, I always look at it, it's good to be as a GM that when you do that, it's the theatrical angle of, eh, right. you can fight this monster, it's not really got as many hit points as it normally does, but when I think you've done enough to make it theatrical enough, or you've taken enough damage yourself, then you might kill it. Because that way, as a GM, it gives you permission to put story over mechanics. Yeah. 
which you know, yeah, like I guess exactly right. Like with so many of the Cthulhu and Lovecraft games, it's it, it is it's story. Stories, you know, story trumps mechanics in in those type of games because you can't put the mechanic in there and have that cool feel for the game of trying you know trying to find out the the mystery that you don't really want to know. But you know, it comes, it, it comes back to that that the, the protagonist is the witness of the situation going on. You know, all you can do is right. to survive it. You know. It's 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 like one of those you know those movies you know that have the same feel where you you're lucky just to make it to the end of the movie you know. Mm-hmm. Well, they talk about the guy you know the the I know I read it, I read someplace talking about the about Frank um, Grimes Rick Grimes mm-hmm. um, you know and and how his character like he won't die right hey. he 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 won't die <laughs> and. Just as because the story's about him, like it's it's he's the witness to everything else. Exactly right. And Lovecraft did the same thing with a lot with his characters. Like it's that witness to all of the carnage around it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think that there's something to be said for trying to figure out how to put that into a role playing game. Yeah, that's that's know? a huge art form. Because it's it's not like the the proverbial we go out and kill the dragon. It's you need to survive to tell the tale of what's going on in this location, you know, or put a stop if you can, if you know. And of course, you know, in a lot of the, the fun Cthulhu games, you you might not stop it, but you survived it, you know. And yeah, then, well, and so you have to figure out what's at risk, right? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, if you're not if you're not going to die or go insane in a, in a Lovecraft game, then what is that risk? <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Hey, we've been talking for quite a while, and I've quite enjoyed our conversation, but I need to boogie on. All right, I'll go ahead, and let's do a little wrap-up. So, David, one last shot. Sunspots. What's what's the best place to find Sunspots on Kickstarter? So, uh, just type in, if you go to Kickstarter, just type in Sunspots, Call of Cthulhu, or even just, I think it's the only Call of Cthulhu up there currently. So, on sun, uh, Sunspots. And uh, we're trending toward our first stretch goal at $7,500 right now. Mm-hmm. About 200 backers. Really excited about it. And then, again, Weird8 with the number 8.com is my blog and space. You can always contact me there. And I'll be, I'll be glad to see when uh, you go past the more art and you get the GM kit, uh, the GM kit part one because I'm all about stretch goal coolness. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I'm I'm really looking to see if director's cut gets gets released, which will be cool. I know. Really briefly, there, yeah, there's this one scene that I worked on with Keith Herber, and it's really really cool. But playtesting was just like I time and time again, people were like I, that was it, that was cool, but it like got in the way of the story. And then and just like a director's cut, like you pull it out mm-hmm. and the whole thing snapped together, and it was like oh that's too bad. And so that was my idea was like oh I'll just put it back as a, an addendum and clean it up, and so. People have the content if they want to throw it in there. Um, that would be cool. So hey, we'll that, see. That's cool. I mean, just like director cuts in TV, you want to. Sometimes you want to go back and try those just to see how it changes it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. All right, man. It's been great having you on the show, and you know, we definitely need to talk more because we we had a great discussion today. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, ring me up anytime. I, I, lo- I love your stuff, and I and now I need to go and um, go um, download some of those Star Wars uh, role playing games. And I need I need to I need to get into more. Um, now that I'm doing a little bit of commuting, I need to do a little bit more um, listening up. to real play. So, yeah. yeah. 
All righty, man. It's been great talking to you. And uh, if anybody has any questions, go ahead and shoot Dave an email so we can go ahead and get those questions answered because, you know, this is going to be a fun game when Sunspots comes out. I mean, uh, just, just from what you've sent me already to look at, I mean, it's I've, I've already got folks interested in doing some play tests. So it'll be well, fantastic. Fun. Yeah, let me- It'll be fun when it comes out and just 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 mash the crap out of the adventure because you know, I know, I know some really good Cthulhu players who are really super investigating and others that are really scary and say burn the book every time they find one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Alrighty, guys, thank you for listening and like always, have a great day. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network, and feel free to enjoy our other shows such as. D&D Journey of the 5th Edition, and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. Hey gamers, Jim here from Creative Flame Podcast Network. If you're in the Tucson area this September and October, I've got a special message for you. Hey, this is Karen from RinCon. We are having our convention from September 30th through October 2nd here in Tucson, Arizona. Come out and uh, play every kind of game under the sun with us. We've got role-playing, board games, minifigs, um, CCGs. We've got Artemis. We have panels with special guests. And this year, the theme is steampunk. So uh, get out your uh, dust off your dirigibles, get out your chapeaus, and put them on. Come on down. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, well, I, I, uh, I've been looking forward to talking with you because I, 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 you know, you're one of those podcast guys who I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about, and what about, I'm like, oh, he listen to me, he doesn't hear me. So here we are talking. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. So it's, it's one thing when I used to just, just listen to podcasts, it's the whole interaction. You're having interaction, even though it's a one-sided conversation. Mm-hmm. That and the, the, Oh, I wish I could tell him this or tell him that, and yeah, like we like we always joke with everybody. It's like, guys, shoot us an email. We will get back to you. Heck, I mean, our, our the Lady Knights of Adventure group they will they will on the recording comment to you regarding your comments nice. to us.